It's September, and while it's still in triple digits here in Arizona, the change in the calendar means summer recess is over. The kids have gone back to school, members of Congress go back to Washington. The midterm elections are looming, and control of both chambers of Congress are in question. Currently, Democrats have a narrow edge in both the House and in the Senate, which has lit a fire under Republicans hoping to regain both chambers. But a Republican takeover might not be as easy as some predicted. For answers, many people are looking right here to Arizona. Welcome to The Gaggle, an Arizona politics podcast by the Arizona Republic and azcentral.com. I'm your host, Ron Hansen. I cover national politics for the Republic. This week, we'll be discussing the status of Arizona's federal races, the U.S. Senate race, and our House races, which could offer clues to how the country might be voting in November as well. To help us break that down, the gaggle is joined by Kyle Kondik. He's the managing editor of Sabato's Crystal Ball, a nonpartisan newsletter from the University of Virginia on campaigns and elections. Kyle, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. We are past Labor Day. It's time to get serious about the November elections. Here in Arizona, voting gets underway in early October, so it's actually pretty late in the cycle for candidates. We want to go through our federal races with you, but before we do, I want to get your thoughts on the atmospherics of the midterms. We've learned from our history and presumed for a while that the party not in power, the Republicans in this case, should be poised for a strong showing. But some things have changed in the past few months to give Democrats a sense of momentum. So how real is any of that? And does it really figure to affect many races across the country? There are a lot of, I'd say, mixed signals at this point of the election cycle. You know, you'd sort of expect things to sort of get clearer as the cycle has gone along. And that's how it, you know, if I think back to previous midterms like 2014 and 2018, I'd say that is sort of how those cycles evolved. But this time, I'd say that the environment and the, the, the whatever should we should anticipate from the results has actually gotten less clear over the course of the summer to me, because, of course, we had this, the Dobbs abortion decision, which is obviously a momentous um, Supreme Court decision, probably one of the most important of our lifetimes. Frankly, if you think of that Roe v. Wade 50 years ago was um, you know, one of the most important decisions of people's lifetimes back then. And you've also had, you know, some some kind of just general sorts of uh, changes, I guess. You know, the gas price problem is not quite as bad as it was, at least in a lot of parts of the country. Joe Biden's approval rating has it's still bad, but it's not quite as bad as it was, a, you know, a month or two ago. There's just some mixed signals out there. We also had a bunch of uh, House special elections over the past many weeks. And those have generally on, on balance gone pretty well for the Democrats and that they've been generally running you know, a bit better than Joe Biden ran in those districts in 2020, which you wouldn't necessarily expect in a if this was like a Republican wave environment. You know, so, so again, there's some there's some mixed signals here. Basically, like if, if you're just sometimes the most simplistic explanation is the best one. And the simplistic explanation of 2022 is that, hey, it's going to be a Republican year. Biden's approval rating is bad. The issue that people seem to care the most about is inflation. The inflation problem is the worst it's been in 40 years. Pretty cut and dry. You know, you, you expect Republicans to flip the House and the Senate in that situation. But there are lots of other confounding factors that make it harder. One other thing, and we, we've known this for months and months, this was prior to the Dobbs decision, but, you know, the Republicans have not put 
forth the, the strongest slate of candidates, particularly in these Senate races. And while candidate quality probably matters less than it used to, and incumbency matters less than it used to, it's still important. And that's also something that has just been made this election cycle a little bit more difficult to analyze. But as we sit here around Labor Day, is the House and the Senate still there for the taking for Republicans? Yes, partially because the Republic or the Democratic majorities are so small. It's just not quite as clear as it as it was. And the Senate itself, I think, is, is a genuine toss up. I still think Republicans are favored in the House. Okay, so that's the national outlook. Let's get into some of the Arizona-specific races now. The Center for Politics changed the rating for the Senate race between Democratic Senator Mark Kelly and Blake Masters, his Republican challenger. What did you all do and why? Yeah, we moved that one from toss-up to leans Democratic uh, just right right before Labor Day. And there were a lot of reasons that went into that. Um, you know, I think Kelly is a, a pretty strong candidate. Um, certainly, Arizona is only sort of newly starting to have uh, Democrats really competitive in Senate races. Of course, they've won the last two, but um, both Kirsten Cinema in 2018 and then Kelly in 2020 ran very good races and won pretty close but clear victories. They both won by a little less than two and a half points in, in each of those elections. You know, I think Kelly and I think even Republicans admit this have built up a pretty good image for himself over the course of what's effectively been kind of an, I don't know, maybe three straight years of campaigning or maybe even more than that. And, uh, you know, he's he's got a ton of money. Blake Masters has had funding problems. Masters also has taken has staked out a lot of pretty far right positions. And look, I mean, Republicans are going to argue that that Kelly is basically in lockstep with national Democrats. And I mean, I think it's a, it's a legitimate point to make, um, at least in terms of, in terms of a voting record. And ultimately, if this is just a referendum on, you know, on Biden, then, then Kelly may ultimately be in trouble. But for the time being, I think Kelly has figured out ways to present himself positively and money is not everything, but he plus the, his democratic allies have this gigantic advantage going down the stretch here you know, and the Republicans actually, Senate Leadership Fund, this big outside Republican group connected to Mitch McConnell, pulled out some money recently, which when that happens, that can sometimes be a signal that a party is worried about a race. Now, of course, there's this weird dynamic where I think that uh, the Republicans are really trying to get Blake Masters' uh, friend and ally, Peter Thiel, to, you know, to invest more money in the race. Thiel, of course, helped a lot during the primary. As we're speaking now, Thiel has not quite done that. So, there are a lot of variables here, but bottom line is I think he put all this stuff together. I think I'd rather be Kelly than Masters, and uh, so we were right about that. You know, we, we there's there's about two months to go. You know, when we move something from toss up to to leaning one way or the other, the hope for us is that one that we get it right, and two that we don't have to move it back to toss up. We'll see how, how that happens. But there were enough factors working in Kelly's benefit to do that. How much of Masters' difficulties are related to controversial views, many of them from his college days at Stanford, and how much of it is from just a lack of money to prosecute his case against Mark Kelly? Part of it, you know, Arizona, of course, has this late primary later than many than, than most states, although it was a little bit earlier this year than it had been in, in some past years. But, you know, we have seen that that late primary kind of trip up Republicans in the past in the state. You know, one positive thing for Kelly this year and, and in 2020 and also for Cinema in 2018 is that they effectively didn't have any real primary opposition, whereas there was at least some competition on the Republican side or at least the eventual Republican nominees, you know, Martha McSally twice and, and now Masters. Um, and the Masters race was, was pretty competitive for, for most 
of the time. And I feel like in the primary environment, you need to go to the, go to the right a little bit more. Um, and, you know, the one, one commonality between masters and, and Peter Thiel's other preferred candidate in Senate races this year, he's helped JD Vance in Ohio. They both kind of come across to me as sort of almost like conservative public intellectuals. And so they're like really conservative pundits basically. And, you know, it's one thing to be like a pundit almost. I mean, Vance was probably more that than, than Masters, but Masters, of course, has sort of pontificated about all sorts of things in the past. You know, those things can kind of come back to bite you when you're an actual candidate. And, you know, I think particularly on some of these social issues, Masters has gone uh, pretty far to the right. You know, he's trying to finesse things on the abortion issue, but, you know, the Kelly campaign has more than enough video and audio and whatnot of Masters taking, I think, pretty unpopular positions on abortion. To, to pin him down on that particular issue. And look, it's, a, it's an important issue, you know, made much more so by the, by the Dobbs decision. You haven't changed that race to a guaranteed win for Democrats. So I take it that you still see at least some path to victory for Masters. What has to happen for Republicans to be able to win that seat at this point? I think Masters is pretty captive to how Republican leaning the actual environment is. I think if, if, you know, if it turns out that this Democratic comeback in July and August was something of a mirage and that the midterm environment is still going to be pretty Republican leaning, I think that's a world in which in which Masters certainly can win. I mean, part of the reason we decided to move the race now, it wasn't just about Kelly versus Masters. It was also that the broader political environment looked a little bit better for Democrats based on some of the polling, some of the special election results, you know, other other factors but if we're sitting here a month from now and, you know, Republicans have sort of retaken the lead on House generic ballot polling, which is, you know, national polling, asking people who they want to vote for, you know, for Congress, either the Democrats or the Republicans, you know, if we start to get polling in Arizona that shows it, you know, closer than it's been, that's when I think it really drifts back into toss-up territory. I also think, frankly, if you start to see national Republican groups kind of come in more heavily than they have now, because again, as at the moment, it seems like Democrats are going to have a pretty big... Um, spending and advertising advantage down the stretch here, but we'll have to see if that uh, if that actually continues. And you know, one other point I want to make, just sort of placing Arizona in the context of the broader race for the Senate, I really think that if Master somehow comes back and beats Kelly, which again is still on the table, that would definitely indicate a Republican Senate takeover because I do think that Kelly is. I mean, look, we have two other Democratic Senate incumbents, Catherine Cortez Masto in Nevada, and. Raphael Warnock in Georgia, and uh, those two Democratic incumbents we still have as toss-up, and I think both of them are significantly more endangered at this point of the campaign than Kelly is. You know, you could argue all three states are, are kind of similar in that they only, all three of them, only very narrowly voted for Biden in 2020. But I do think that as of now, I think that that Walker, um, the Republican in Georgia, and Adam Laxalt, the Republican in Nevada, I think they've, they've probably proven to be a little bit better candidates than than Masters has been. Although, broadly speaking, I don't think the crop of Republican Senate candidates across the country is particularly strong. So I, I guess I'm assuming that those states would flip before Arizona does. But if Arizona flips, it maybe means that those other ones have flipped too. In which case, the, the, the Republicans are definitely winning the Senate in that sort of scenario. So um, I think Arizona at this point is probably more of a must win for Democrats than Republicans in the race for the Senate. Obviously, Republicans were hoping that this race would still be like really, truly a toss up. Um, I don't think it is right now. Maybe it becomes that again, though, later you know down the stretch here. And we wrote this in our crystal ball update. Polls that have showed Kelly up 
you know, six, eight, 10 points, maybe. I don't think anyone should expect him to win by that kind of margin. I think if he wins again, it's going to be like two, three, four points. It's just that that's what I see as sort of the likelier outcome now that Masters winning. But again, you know, there's there's still time to go here and, and we'll see how the things develop. I mean, there are lots of different factors. You know, one of them is, is gas prices. Uh, that's uh, That's gone well for the White House the past month or two, but I, you know, <laughs> elections are hard enough, let alone, you know, commodities markets. So I don't know what's, what, the, what the gas price situation will be, but it is something that people care about and take notice of. Yes, it is. Let's shift gears and talk about a few of our house races now. Let's begin in northeastern Arizona with the area represented by Democrat Tom O'Halloran. He's running against Republican businessman Eli Crane. How do you see this race and why? O'Halloran is probably the most vulnerable Democratic House incumbent in the whole country, and it's it's got a ton to do with redistricting. You know, his district just got several points redder in the the commission drawn map in, in Arizona. You know, the general feeling, and I still think this is true, is that you know Democrats made out a little bit better in that process ten years ago. Republicans, I think, made out a little bit better this time. So even though Arizona is clearly less Republican now than it was ten years ago. It may be that the House delegation actually gets more Republican just because the map is better for them. And so O'Halloran's seat is, um, I think Trump won it by about eight points. And that's just to begin with, the Democrats only control a handful of seats already that, you know, that Trump carried. And that's a pretty heavy, pretty hard ask to, for O'Halloran to defend a seat like that. So we have that race rated as leans Republican. And, and again, we have it, uh, um, we have, you know, we, we look at O'Halloran as a, you know, fairly significant underdog. Let's move to the Tucson area now. Democratic Representative Ann Kirkpatrick is retiring after five terms in the House, beginning after the 2008 elections. Former State Senator Kirsten Engel, a Democrat, is running against Juan Siscomani, a Republican who's been an advisor to Governor Doug Ducey for years. What are you expecting in that race? That one we also have as leans Republican, although I think it's probably, you know, it'd be closer to being a toss up than, than the O'Halloran race would be. It's one of, it's maybe actually the most evenly divided district in the whole country based on 2020 presidential voting. You know, Joe Biden carried it, but just by a tenth of a percentage point. And, you know, if this district was more similar to how it was under the old map, I think that it, it would pretty clearly be a toss up or maybe even like a leans D kind of district. But it just got uh, the old version of the district was uh, significantly more democratic, and so here's another place where you had a um, you know competitive district drawn in the in the redistricting process, but one that's just better for Republicans now than it used to be. So at the end of the day, I think I'd rather be you know Siskamani than Engel. One other you know factor here in this date just goes back several weeks to the primary, but you know we know that national Republicans really wanted Siskamani to be the, the candidate there. Congressional Leadership Fund, big outside Republican group connected to House leadership. They spent on his behalf in the primary, ended up winning. Um, so I think that they're they're pretty happy with his candidacy and probably feel pretty good about that race. But, you know, if look, I, I don't think it's like totally out of the question. Democrats could hold the House. And if they were to do that, it would probably mean effectively holding these really marginal seats like Arizona six, which is the descendant of the old Arizona two that Ann Kirkpatrick is retiring from. And, uh, you know, it's not out of the question. I know Angle put out some polling fairly recently that had her up two points. Now, you always have to interpret internal polls as a grain of salt because if they reach the light of day, it probably is a 
something that they want to present positively for the their candidate when that comes out. You know, I, I think I'd still rather be the Republicans in that district. There are two other districts that are nominally within shouting distance of being competitive. Republican Representative David Schweikert is facing Democrat Jevin Hodges, and Democrat Greg Stanton is facing Republican Kelly Cooper. Do the challengers in those races have any realistic chance at, at this point? Yeah, we have them also in our leans category. Uh, uh, Stanton leans Democratic in Arizona 4, and then Arizona one uh, with David Schweikert, we have that as uh, as leans D. You know, Arizona one is the sort of the one district you could look at of the ones that have been competitive in the past that actually got a little bit better for Democrats in the redistricting process. That was that was a narrow Trump seat, and now it is a narrow Biden seat. Although Biden only won it by a point and a half. You know, Schweikert has had some problems, um, with ethics issues in, in the past. Um, I think if this was like 2018 and it was like a clearly democratic leaning wave year, I think I'd look at this as like a real prime democratic pickup opportunity. And it might be at some other point in the decade. I think it's, again, I think it's kind of a heavier lift this time just because I think it's either kind of a neutral or a Republican leaning environment. But again, I'd say just like Arizona six, if Democrats are somehow real close for the house majority or actually winning the house majority again, it might be because they're doing better than people like I expect in a district like Arizona one. Likewise, I think Arizona four is kind of the flip of that is that if Republicans are having a good night, they probably would be cutting into districts where, where you know Joe Biden ran better than he did nationally. And so this is like a roughly 10 point Biden district, Arizona four. And, you know, if districts like that are flipping, that's, you know, Republicans probably getting, you know, netting, you know, 20 plus seats in the House, which I think is certainly within the realm of possibility. That's one to watch. I, I think that, again, with, you know, four of the nine districts in Arizona, we have rated, you know, the way we do the ratings, it's toss up is obviously the most competitive, leaning one way or the other is the next most competitive and then likely and safe. Four of the nine districts we have in the leans column, meaning that we do see there as a favorite in all four of those districts, but they might end up being pretty competitive and, and those are where upsets can be possible. So, um, you know, Arizona had a lot of uh, competitive House districts and House races last decade, even though the map has changed and changed in ways I think are favorable to Republicans. There still are a number of legitimate uh, swing seats in, in the state and really Arizona one and six, given how close they were for president, those very well could be swing districts in every election this decade. You've sort of alluded to the number of seats that are also not considered especially competitive. That includes Republicans Andy Biggs, Paul Gosar, and Debbie Lesko. We also have Democrats Raul Grijalva and Ruben Gallego, who are also viewed as safe. If my math is holding based on what you've uh, been outlining to this point, we'd be looking at about a six to three Republican majority coming out of Arizona instead of the present five to four Democratic majority. So how does this fit into the overall House mix and Republican efforts to retake the House? Yeah, I mean, look, I think that Republicans are definitely banking on the two pickups in effectively the two pickups in, in Arizona. Um, as part of their overall path to, to 218 seats. And I mean, again, we, you know, if you look at our, our ratings, if you consider the leans likely and safe seats kind of in the Republican corner, you know, we do count, we're counting on the Republicans winning a 6-3 edge in, in Arizona to sort of realize that one or both of those falls off. That's the sort of world in which maybe they're not getting the majority. But I'd also say that even if Arizona does produce a 6-3 Republican advantage, um, in this election, that's not necessarily locked in for the rest of the rest of the decade. 
Very good. Well, Kyle, thank you so much for taking time with us today. If people want to follow your work on Twitter, where can they find you? Uh, yeah, I'm uh, at K Condit, K-K-O-N-D-I-K. Uh, and also our Crystal Ball newsletter is free to sign up for, centerforpolitics.org. Backslash Crystal Ball, you'll see a, a prompt right at the top of the page to put in your email and you can get our updates. We usually do, uh, um, particularly in election season, you know, two, three times a week, we'll have uh, updates on the race in Arizona and all over the country. That is it for today, Gaggle listeners. Do you have questions about Arizona's political landscape? Contact us at thegaggle at arizonarepublic.com. That's one word, all spelled out. Or leave us a message at 602-444-0804. And don't forget to rate and review our show and share it with a friend. If you want to reach out to me on Twitter, I'm at Ronald J. Hansen. And that's H-A-N-S-E-N. Today's episode was edited and produced by Amanda Luberto. You can follow her at Amanda Luberto. And that's L-U-B-E-R-T-O. Thanks for listening to The Gaggle, a podcast from the Arizona Republic and azcentral.com. We'll see you next week. We'll see you next week.